0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week we have another guest speaker, our very own Pastor Matt Miller. Matt will continue in the great mystery series with the message titled, People Far From God, teaching out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. How are you guys? Good to see you guys. Good to be in church. Uh, my name is Matt Miller. I'm the pastor of discipleship at the church. I think most of you guys know who I am. Um, I'm uh, thankful and blessed just to be here today and, and keep going in our series in the book of Colossians. We're actually kind of wrapping it up and tying it up this morning in a lot of ways. And I uh, wanted to take a minute actually and just kind of poke at my own title, pastor of discipleship. What does that mean? I get people uh, that ask me, they're like, well, what does it mean to be a pastor of discipleship? And I thought, I'm like, good question. <laughs> I'll let you know when I figure it out. Um, no, I mean, I, I do actually know what it means. Um, so discipleship is kind of a church word, right? Discipleship is this idea that we've sworn allegiance to, to the king. We've given our life to Christ, that we're, we're, we're pursuing the Lord. It means that we've made Christ our, our mentor and our teacher. I've aligned my life to the way that the Bible says I'm supposed to live. So here's the question. How do we actually be successful in that? Where's the determination or the bar for I've met the mark and I've, I've been successful in that? I think it's a great question. How do we define success? I think we've got to ditch this idea that we can arrive. And we kind of admit to ourselves like, hey, this is going to be a lifelong process of chipping away at things in my life. If you talk to any athlete that competes and you kind of Get a sense from them that they think they they're done or they're finished with training. They never hit that mark, do they? They always have the next thing that they want to see happen. They always have the next thing that they want to chip away at. And I think much is the same for us in, in in our life of discipleship and following Jesus. Jesus, when you watch him interact with everyday people, he has this way of setting the bar for holiness really high. And when I say really high, like unattainably high, he says, "Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as God is holy." How do we actually hit that? We're still sinners. We're always going to be sinners. How do we hit holiness? He had this way of, of making people feel accepted and loved and motivated in the midst of setting that bar, I think, extremely high. They would leave the presence of Jesus having experienced God, and they were excited to embark on whatever God had for them in life. This art, is, it's one of the things that I really love about Jesus. I love about the way he interacted in ordinary life with ordinary folks, he would awaken this passion inside them to pursue the things of God. We've been in the book of Colossians on Sunday morning and Paul sets what I think is actually an equally high bar in the section that we're in today. When I study this text, I get this, this picture of what he's teaching and I find myself you know, kind of looking at the text and looking at my life and just feeling like, wow, I really fall short of that. I'm having a hard time hitting that mark. <clears throat> I want this, but I feel like I'm far from it. And at times, you know, just going through life, I think we're all in this boat where we feel tired. We feel like, you know, we're really wrestling with things. This whole COVID craziness, we kind of feel like we're, we're all over it, I think in some ways and just kind of frustrated. But I keep coming back to this thought that, that God does this with me. God walks with me. He does life with me. And the God of the universe lives inside of me. He's not some God that's far up there and far, from, far removed in the clouds. But his spirit is that source of power that lives inside of me, and he's right here. I don't have to go anywhere to access that. I think that's a great comfort to me kind of in the midst of feeling like I can't hit this mark. I can't reach this bar set in the scripture. I think that's that's the great mystery. I mean, we had this this slide back here earlier, the funky eye and everything, talking about what is this great mystery. It's this idea that Christ dwells in you. And Paul says that in Colossians. He says it's the great mystery. It's Christ in you you. And that's why we can actually be successful at living out our mission and our mandate that's given to us by the Lord is because we have the indwelling Lord in our heart. So you might be here this morning and you you might have come in the doors feeling like, hey, I'm firing on all all cylinders. I'm ready for a challenge. Bring it on. And I feel like on the other hand, you may cross the the bridge this morning. You just kind of felt like, man, I'm a little heavy today. You barely made it through the week. You're feeling a little beat up. Hold on to this thought kind of as we navigate the passage this morning and I think bring some of this teaching to a close right here that the great mystery is that Christ is in you and that's the source of our success. God has a plan to transform our lives. He's promised that he will finish the work that he started in you. That's a promise right out of the scripture. He's individually drawn each one of us and he regularly chooses to use us in the midst of our brokenness and our weakness—that's his plan. That's actually what he wants to do. I'm just kind of blown away by that. So let's look at the book of Colossians together. If you guys can open your Bible to chapter four, we're going to start reading here in just a sec. These past few weeks, Ben and Mike Van Fleet have been working through one section in Colossians. It starts at the beginning of chapter three, and really, like I said, it's the final teaching. It's the final encouragement that Paul has for us. It's what Paul has kind of been building up to throughout the entire letter, and it culminates today. And this section of Scripture, I love it because it's extremely practical. It just gives us things that we can do and implement right after we read it. If we look back to kind of the beginning of that section in chapter 3, Paul says, if you've come to know Jesus, if you've been transformed, your whole life should begin to change as you get closer and closer to modeling and reflecting Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 3, Ben taught how we should be engaged in this on a personal level. And that whole first half of chapter three is all about the personal things in our life that should be changing once we've been transformed by Jesus. Then Mike Van Fleet talked to us last week, and Mike was talking about how our relationships should be different, and namely, our relationships inside of our households. And once our households are in order, that in turn strengthens strengthens the church. And, And if our households are kind of falling apart across the church, and we're fitting together as this family of families, but those family units aren't very functional, that in turn actually kind of hurts and it harms the church and prevents the church from living out its mission in this world. So it's extremely important that our households kind of look a certain way, and that's why God established those roles in our household. And I love the challenge that Mike presented right at the end of his message. is probably my, my single takeaway. But Mike said, I think our goal is not just to fulfill these roles, but to live them out enthusiastically. Like, I am excited about the role that God has given me. And I'm going to live that out with all the energy that I have. I love that. So, if you've been transformed by Jesus, if your heart and character um, should change, your family relationships should change. And lastly, in the text we're in today, your mission and your purpose in life should also change. We're called to the same mission that Christ began 2,000 years ago on earth, which is to reach the people that are far from God. That's the whole idea of our mission. We want to to reach people and spread the message that don't know Jesus Christ. That's the red dot in the center of our target today. If I've surrendered my life to Christ, how do I impact people that are far from God? That's our mission and that's our mandate. Let's dive into uh, Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 2, but before I read the section, I want you guys kind of looking and scanning as I'm reading through this. Paul breaks the section into two different thoughts. The first three verses are this idea of how can I be engaged in that mission, but from a support position? I'm not actually directly engaged with people. And then the last two verses in this section, Paul talks about how do I be engaged in that mission in a direct way? I'm the one doing the ministering. I'm the one talking to, to somebody. I'm the one sharing. I'm the one engaging. So kind of look for that, that division as we read. Colossians 4, chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Be devoted to prayer keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may make it known as I should. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. So Paul's first point here is prayer or communication with God. And in talking about prayer, I want you to think for a second. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been cut off from communication? Communication that was essential. Something went wrong. Something didn't work. The batteries died. The phone was lost. The person that you needed to talk to couldn't be reached. Um, I actually had this happen to me just about a year ago. It's probably the best example of this happening in my life that I could think of. I went to Japan to visit some friends, and I took my wife and my three small children. We had all sorts of fun when we were over there, we went to Tokyo Disneyland, got to see all sorts of things. We drove these go-karts around the streets of Tokyo. I'm like, this can never happen in America. Why did they do this over here? But it was fantastic. Um, before I, I went, I rented this little Wi-Fi device. It's just a portable Wi-Fi device that sits in your pocket. And with that Wi-Fi device, my phone worked, my wife's phone worked. We could pick up our phone. We could look up restaurants. We could look up showtimes. We could look up how to get somewhere. Google Maps would just navigate you through the whole train system. You never have to get in a car when you're over there. And it tells you, get on this train at this time. Get off at this stop. Move over to this station. Get on that train. It's going to take you this long. Get off at this stop. I'm like, this is fantastic. Like Stuff like this doesn't exist where I live. There's multiple times we were in these these massive train tunnels, systems of stations where there's like multiple stations all converging in this one large hub. And we were walking through with with our children and my wife and we were pulling all our luggage. And and there there were multiple times we walked over a half of a mile, just underground in tunnels, going up escalators through elevators, um, trying to navigate this, this train station system. So we got to the last day of our trip we spent a half a day in Tokyo, and we were, we were on our way to get back to the hotel to grab our bags and head to the airport. This is the second to last time that we'd even be on a train in, in Japan. And we gathered the kids together, we got off our train, we we're about to head to the hotel, those train doors close, the thing starts moving down the tracks, and I get this sinking feeling in my gut. I'm like, oh. the backpack. The backpack with all the things in it is sitting in there on the luggage rack going down the track to, I didn't even know where. Where does this train go? Does it end? Does it stop? Does it go in a loop? I have no idea. So we kind of start freaking out a little bit and strategizing a little bit, and figuring out how how are we gonna figure this out? How are we gonna find this thing? We've got three hours to be at the airport before we miss our plane. So we have this narrow window to work with. The greatest thing about Japan is no one steals anything. It's true. I mean, the theft just doesn't really exist in the city. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing. My wife jokes, because she, she grew up there, she jokes if you left a $20 bill on the ground and you came back, someone would have neatly folded it and left it on the bus stop bench for you. And I'm like, that's amazing. That kind of stuff doesn't happen here, right? It was going to take us about an hour to get down the tracks and get this backpack. There was a train station worker that found it. And it was, it was about 45 minutes down the track. We found it about an hour later. And um, we devised this, this crazy plan where Sarah was actually better at navigating this train system without electronic assistance than I was. I kind of relied on that phone. She's like, I think I can do this. So she strapped Laney, it's just under two, in the little ergo baby carrier, and she got on this train, and she went down the tracks after this backpack 45 minutes away. And, and at this point, because that little Wi-Fi device is in there, there's zero communication, I can't reach her, I can't figure out how to navigate the stupid maze of train system myself. So I'm struggling through that, being like, if I get on the wrong train and go in the wrong direction, if I miss my stop, well, right there, we've just missed our plane. We're done, you know? So my plan was, I'm going to take the kids, I'm going to go back to the hotel, I'm going to get all the luggage, which we could barely get through the, the trains and everything with my wife's help. So now it's just me and my two older kids, and I'm like, you guys better saddle up and take a big suitcase and roll this thing down the thing, get on the train, because I don't know what we're going to do. We're not going to be able to get our luggage down there. So anyway, long story short, kind of had this timeline that we were, that we were sticking to. We were, we were cut off from communication with each other, kind of in this crisis situation. And I was just a little bit worried about what's going to happen. I start running through all the potential possibilities that this could go south and this could go wrong. Totally separated from each other in a foreign country where neither of us are that familiar with navigating. And we got our kids trying to figure all this out. It was uh, pretty awful. I guess to fast forward to the end of the story, it's kind of evident that we made it. I mean, standing here, right? Um, but I, can, I could fill you in on the details later. Each day, we're fighting a spiritual battle as Christ followers. We're engaged in this battle. And the Bible says that the battle, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not about the things out there that we can see. We're not fighting people in this battle, but it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's an unseen battle, and we're in the midst of it. It's very real. It's not made up. It's not fake. It's invisible, but we feel the effects of it all the time. And the, the enemy is the demonic angels. In the spiritual realm, there's God's angels and there's the demonic angels, and we're a piece of fight in this battle, even though we can't see it. We're battling culture, we're battling temptation, we're battling apathy. We're fighting against the very forces of evil that are in the world. In this battle, we have a lifeline. We have a connection to God. We can communicate with Him. We can ask Him for divine help when we need it. I think here's the problem, though, and here's the crux of where we live. I feel like we don't actually tap into prayer as we should. I think that's one of Paul's points in this section. We don't tap into prayer as we should. We struggle to realize its power and its ability to change the battlefield. We misuse prayer. We ask God for things all the time, in my opinion, that aren't very mission critical. We ask him for things to make us a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more safe, to kind of ease the pain of life a little bit more. Maybe stuff that makes us a little bit happier. I find it so striking that when you you see the things that Paul prays about, he never prays for any of those things. Go through the New Testament and look at the things that Paul prays about. They're always things that are mission critical. Pray for this thing so we can be successful in this mission. I'm not concerned about safety. I'm not concerned about comfort. As we look at this passage this morning, the things that I want to kind of draw out of the text, Paul gives us a couple indications about how do we pray? How do we engage in that? And then what do we pray for? So how do we pray and what do we pray for? And again, in these first couple of verses, we're unpacking this idea that we're engaged in this mission and we're engaged from a support position And then we're going to move into this idea of being engaged in a direct position. So let's start there in in verse 2. If you guys notice in verse 2, the first word that he uses is be devoted. Be devoted in prayer. So how do we pray? We be devoted in prayer. We need to engage in prayer often. And we need to not give up. Or another way of saying that is we need to pray continuously. And we need to pray persistently. And I think both of those ideas are really biblical ideas. Can you guys remember some of the places in the Bible where it talks about continuous prayer? I'm sure most of you guys can probably quote that little phrase or that little section that talks about continuous prayer. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, pray always. Pray always. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray without ceasing. There's other verses as well. What does that actually mean? Because I don't think it's possible to pray without ceasing. And you know, i got plenty of stuff that i got to get done during the day. i got plenty of stuff that I feel like I have to set my mind on and focus on and really drill down. It's going to take 100% of my effort and 100% of my energy. How do I do that at the same time while I'm praying constantly without ceasing? I don't think that that's possible. I think there's a different idea that's kind of at play here in the text. Paul's talking about this idea of go throughout your day with this, with this God consciousness. Go throughout this day with this awareness of God, that God is there, that you can turn to God um, that you never left him, that he's, he's right next to you. And as you encounter each part of your day or each person in your day or the successes of the day or the difficulties of the day, those are all prayers that you direct towards God. You're thanking him for stuff. You're asking him for stuff. You're asking him to be a part of the conversation that you're about to have with somebody. You're asking him for the strength to be encouraging to somebody. And I think you're, you're pulling him in kind of to each part of your day. Sure, I got a picture I was going to throw up there. I know there's some teenagers in the audience, so I get to pick on you guys here for a second. This is the Vale Christian Church Youth Group. No, it's not, I'm just kidding. It's not. Um, you ever hang out with a teenager and they text the whole time? They're like, whoop, whoop, ta-ta-ta, whoop. Okay, you can drive in the car with a teenager. They sit there and they text the whole time. You can go on a walk. You can ride your bike. They do it in the movie theater, at a restaurant, while they're waiting for anything. Drive by a bus stop in your neighborhood. Teenagers aren't talking to each other. Okay, they're sending text messages the whole time. They're checking Facebook. They're on their Instagram. I think this is actually a really great illustration of what does it mean to pray continuously. Because I've hung out with people before, and they're hanging out with me, and they're talking with me, and they're in the car sitting right next to me, and they have the phone in their hand. And teenagers actually have this remarkable ability to multitask. They can actually carry on a conversation with me and not skip a beat. But at the same time, they're drawing this other person into the hangout session and into the conversation and into whatever they're doing that day. And they're talking to them about what's going on in the car. They're talking to them about what's going on as they're waiting in the movie theater or whatever it is. I think this is the idea of pray continuously. You don't ever put the phone down, you draw God into everything that's going on throughout your day. And I love that. I love the idea of that. So, teenagers, you guys can. Thank me because I chalked your texting habits up to something positive. And I, if we're all honest, adults do the same thing too. We just you know, make you guys bear the brunt of it. So there's another aspect of prayer kind of at play here in the passage that's captured in the word devotion. What does it mean to be devoted? It means to be continuous in our prayer, but it also means to be committed to it. And this idea of we don't quit, we're persistent. A prayer that doesn't give up prayer that I'm going to keep praying about this until God intervenes and answers my prayer. If I'm transparent about my own prayer life, I pray. I engage in this. I practice prayer. It's a discipline for me. But at the same time, I think this is probably the greatest area where I fall short a little bit. I have a hard time really following through and maintaining kind of a track record on any prayer that's going to take time and energy for me to invest in it and keep praying for that over and over again. I do, if I admit, kind of throwing the towel don't keep track of it. I don't labor as much as I should, and I, I think at times prayer is a labor, and I think that's what it was for Paul too. I think that's how he took it on himself. He would describe it as at times struggling with or wrestling with God through a prayer request. There's a word here that Paul uses in the in the original language for devotion. It's the one the word we translate into devote, and it doesn't just mean strong or steadfast. It means super strong or super steadfast, immovable. So in being devoted to prayer, there's not just an ongoing or continuous nature about it, but there's an intensity to the level of commitment that prayer requires. There's a story I wanted to reference in Luke, and I think Sherry could put it up on the screen for us. It's Luke 18. This is a really great story that I feel like highlights this. You can read this with me. You don't have to flip there. Luke 18, 2-7 says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. You're like, that's great. It's totally the kind of judge I want arbitrating over my stuff. (laughs) He neither feared God or respected people. There was also a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused. But later he said to himself, though I neither fear God or have regard for people, again, really great, right? I don't fear God. I don't care about people. Yet, because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will give her justice. And in the end, she will wear me, or, or in the end, she will wear me out by her unending pleas. You know, he's tired of the whining. He's tired of her constantly coming back and asking for the same thing over and over again. And the Lord says, listen to what the unrighteous judge says. So won't God give justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long to help them? So I know in this unrighteous judge scenario, it kind of seems like the widow is whining, but that's because of the perspective of the unrighteous judge. If the judge, who doesn't care, responds to this widow that's wearing him out, won't God, who actually loves us and deeply cares for us and cares about the things that we're praying about, won't he answer our continuous and persistent prayer? I think absolutely I think this is the idea, this, this verse, and there's other verses like it too, it's the idea of capturing what it means to pray persistently and to be devoted in prayer. And there's another how-to that Paul gives us in verse 2, where Paul tells us, he says, keep alert, keep alert in prayer. What does it mean to stay alert? To Kind of be on your game and be watchful. We remain alert, we remain on guard. I think Satan, if there's anything he's, he's really good at in our life, he's really good at, at cluttering the airwaves. He's really good at non-essential chatter, on distraction, on having things pop up that kind of take us away and sidetrack us away from whatever it is that God wants for us in that moment. You ever sit down kind of with the intention, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna spend five minutes in prayer, I'm gonna spend 10 minutes in prayer, and then the flood of everything that you have to do that day kind of crowds into your mind and like, poof, your prayer time's gone. I'm like, that happens to me. I think that happens to all of us. That's tough. That's tough. Satan's good at distracting us, even when we're well-intentioned. Well Don't forget that we're fighting this unseen enemy, and that he has, he has a great ability to distract us. Being watchful in prayer means we fight back with an awareness of what God has called us to do. We're engaged in mission. And a mission, an essential part of that mission is to have a focus and a readiness that comes through being in constant communication with the Lord kind of the area here too, again, just being transparent and honest, I feel like if Satan gains a lot of ground in my life, there's an area where he kind of throws me away from being alert. It's staying up late. It's watching, like, is anyone binge watching Netflix in here? I know they're out there. (laughs) Why do I watch the second episode? Why do I watch the third episode? Why do I stay up so late watching Netflix and then take all the wind out of my sails for the next day. And instead of popping out of bed and being ready for what God has for me and excited about that, I'm barely rolling out of bed. I feel like that's where the devil gets me. And I thought if we went across the auditorium, it might not be Netflix, but I think some of us, we want that extra podcast. We want to get on Twitter a little bit more. We, We want to watch the extra news, the third hour of news that evening. Like they're saying something better than they said the first two hours, right? I think those are the ways that the devil works on us and he robs our ability to stay alert through prayer. I think there's sometimes we've got to put that off and say, hey, I'm closing my phone, my computer, whatever. I'm turning the TV off and I'm going to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. I don't need the fourth episode of whatever. So kind of wrapping that up, be devoted to prayer, stay alert. And lastly, pray with thanksgiving. This one's just a really interesting one in here. I feel like it almost doesn't really fit the, the line of reasoning that that Paul's kind of embarking on in this passage. Why pray with thanksgiving? I thought it was interesting too that it's the fifth time in a very short letter of Colossians, only four, only four chapters, is the fifth time he talks about being thankful or expressing gratitude in some way. You know how we pray with, with gratitude or how we express gratitude to the Lord? I think that we, we constantly acknowledge the ways that he is being victorious, and the ways that he's being successful in fighting the battle for us. We say things like, Lord, you brought me through that really difficult season in life, or you're bringing me through it. Thank you. God, you secured a victory in my relationship with my kid today. Thank you. God, I'm ready and expectant for what you have for me today. Thanks for letting me participate and using me, because you certainly could choose to not to. You could use somebody else. Thanks for using me. We could say stuff like, our high school students, they made it. They graduated. And the ones that are out there and have been out there for a few years, they're standing strong in their faith. Thank you, God. Thank you for allowing our church to be a part of that. We've got people showing up here on Sunday mornings and they're working throughout the week and people that are going out into their workplaces and they're engaging their time and their talent and their treasure. Thank you, God. Thank you for that happening. I think there's all sorts of ways that we can use gratitude and acknowledge um, just the great things that God has done. And I think as we employ thankfulness, it allows us to want to be increasingly a part of that mission. It's the motivation for us to say that God is doing things. God is using me. God is using our church. And I want to increasingly be a part of that. And I think that's why Paul talks about um, thanksgiving and gratitude right here. So to kind of recap all these things together again, we persist in prayer. We don't give up. We keep alert. We stay ready through prayer, knowing that we're prone to distraction And we pray with thanksgiving for God's provision and the battles that are being won. Verse 3 gives us some really specifics on, well, what exactly do we pray for? If this is how we pray, what do we pray for? Let's read verse 3 together again. Verse 3 says, At the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. How do we reach people that are far from God? in a support position through prayer. And Paul says, pray that God would open a door. Pray that God would open a door. This is kind of a cool phrase too. This is not a standalone phrase. Paul uses this a whole bunch of times throughout the New Testament. Um, In 1 Corinthians 16, he says, but I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a door of great opportunity stands wide open for me, but there are many opponents Again, he's looking at this through this lens of this is a battle that I'm engaged in. I'm fighting. Second Corinthians two says, um, what he he just kind of mentions it again, and and he mentions going to Troas, and there there being obstacles in his way. But God had opened this door that wasn't there before, and he talks about other times when God closes a door. I tried to go north. I tried to go east. God closed a door there, so I went in this direction to this city. Paul's kind of alluding to here, asking, asking us to pray for something that's unexpected. They're not necessarily the everyday opportunities that we have, but that God would break into an area create this opportunity that wasn't there before and that we couldn't see coming. It, it, it's not just, you know, God moving randomly or working independently. He, he wants us to partner with him in that prayer. It's, God wants to progress the battle. God wants to change the landscape of the battlefield. But he also wants us to have this component where we're engaged in that, we participate in that, and it's teamwork and working alongside the Lord to make a difference in people's lives. So don't give up praying for a family member. Don't give up praying for a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker that doesn't know the Lord. Don't give up praying for our church or our community. Pray that God would open a door, that he would change something miraculously that changed the landscape that we're looking at. Persistent prayer. So Paul gives us a high calling to be committed to prayer in this section in these verses. Prayer is the way that we support the mission. We can participate in it. We can impact it constantly, whether there's someone around us or not, whether there's a person in front of us to talk to or not. We can support our brothers and sisters working toward the same mission by praying for them that God would open a door. So Paul switches to to the second big thought that we talked about in this section. How can you be directly involved now in reaching those people that are far from God? God's given all of us relationships. and, And in those relationships, the people that are in our spheres, those are the people that God's kind of given us to steward, to minister to, to encourage, to be in relationship with, to live life with. There isn't, a, there, there, there isn't really a role being outlined here in scripture where there's a certain group of you guys and you're just gonna pray. And that's your that's your role. You're the prayer warriors. But then there's this other group over here and you guys, you're just gonna talk to people. You're just gonna do the ministering. You're just gonna be on the front lines. You're just gonna be the one that's engaging people. God calls, calls all of us to do both. It's a high calling. I think no matter what your abilities are, if you've been transformed by Jesus, if you've sworn allegiance to the king, then there are people that God has specifically given you and appointed you to be the one that brings them closer to him. He'll equip you to do it. He'll continue to transform lives. He'll continue to transform your life to do it. I think that's what Paul's kind of trying to, be, to get in our heads since the beginning of chapter 3 right there if you're transformed, if you're regenerated, if you're, if you're made new in Christ, these are all the things that should follow and be different in your life. Let's, uh, let's read verses five through six again. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer anyone. What does it mean to make the most, you know, quote unquote, make the most of your opportunities? that you have out there. The language again that Paul uses and it translates into English, but the language he uses literally says buying up opportunities for God. Buying up opportunities for God. That creates a really cool picture for me. So kind of picture this. You wake up in the morning, you don't know how your day's going to unfold because none of us have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen or what situations we're going to be in but we know stuff's going to come down the pipeline and come our way. We know stuff's going to get put in front of us that we get to engage in. Each hour that we have is an opportunity. We can buy something for God in that hour or we can let it pass. We don't have to do anything. We can remain idle. Maybe the opportunity is never going to come back again. Maybe you're walking around here after service on Sunday morning and you see someone who feels like they're kind of lost or they're new. They have that look in their eyes like, ah, they don't. They're not familiar with this place at all. You've got an opportunity. I can go up and be warm and kind and welcoming to that person. Or I can just walk past them and go get my coffee or go get my car. You have an opportunity to, to buy up an opportunity for God. You can do something. Or you can let it pass. Engage. Let it go. I think if you look at life this way, you start to realize that life is actually exciting. It's not boring. Each relationship that we have in our life is an opportunity for us to engage. It's an opportunity for us to apply wisdom, like it says right here in the passage, to pray that God moves in that person's life, and then to stand back and watch, not actually knowing what's going to happen, not knowing specifically how God is going to move or what he's going to do in that person's life. I think if you've been transformed by Jesus, you have a different outlook when you get out of bed in the morning about, hey, this day has possibilities for me to engage in. And it could be relationships with my family, It could be relationships with all these people I run into at my workplace, you know? Maybe my job is not really about doing the task that I've been given to do, but maybe it's about the relationships that God's put me in and caused me to to be a steward of in those arenas. I want to read this verse. um, 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and who makes... Known through us the fragrance that consists of the knowledge of him in every place. Let me read that one more time. It says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and makes us known through the fragrance that consists of the knowledge of him in every place. That verse is really great. Paul starts out with thanksgiving, doesn't he? He says, thanks be to God. Thank you, God. Thanks for using us. This idea of triumphal procession, God has already won the battle. He has already secured the victory at the cross. And we know that right? He's already won. He's already given us the victory. And then the last part, he says, he makes these things known through us. He didn't have to do it that way. God could have found another way to reach people instead of using broken and jacked up people like myself. He didn't have to choose me. He didn't have to choose you to do that. But Paul says, he makes it known through us, this idea of the fragrance of the knowledge of God, that people are going to encounter us and when they encounter us, they should encounter God. Each day, each hour, you've been put in this position to be fragrant for God. To seize an opportunity, to buy them up, you get to decide. Let the opportunity pass or engage. I think it's kind of exciting, actually. I think it changes the way that you look at your, at your day and the people that you're going to encounter. And that thought, that idea, it compels me to engage. Let's look at one more thing here in verse five. Paul says, use wisdom. Use wisdom. What is wisdom? I think a really great definition for wisdom is, what do you do when the Bible doesn't tell you what to do? What do you do when the Bible doesn't tell you what to do? Because as you read across scripture, there's plenty of principles for our life in there, right? But it doesn't tell you exactly what you should do in the next minute. I mean, if you're a teenager and you're looking across the room, you're like, ooh, there's a good-looking lady over there, you know? Maybe I need to go talk to her, right? But maybe you sit there and say, huh, eh, maybe that's a bad idea because of this reason and that reason. But the Bible is not going to tell you what to do in that scenario. You're going to have to apply what? You're going to have to apply wisdom. How do I proceed in wisdom in this activity, this situation where the Bible doesn't tell me what to do? I think wisdom tells us, as we're engaging in the relationships in our life, it tells us things like, do I be very direct with this person or do I be a little bit more passive? Do I, do I proclaim the message of the gospel in this situation or do I talk about maybe just the story of God in my life and the amazing things he's done for me? Well, how do you know the answer of which way to go? There's all sorts of different ways. You could argue with someone and be confrontational or you can shut your mouth and you can just pray for the person. Which one of those is more effective? you're going to have a hard time arguing one over the other, right? I think we proceed with wisdom and we seek God and we seek his spirit to push us and give us this picture for what's next. So if wisdom is how we're supposed to proceed, how do we get it? How do we make these decisions? I think we need to be so immersed in the principles of the word. We need to be in our Bible. We need to know what this says. We need to read through the letters of Paul and try to make a change in our life. Otherwise, I think we don't have that source of wisdom to tap into when we're in those situations. So we we proceed wisely as we're trying to buy up opportunities for the Lord. We implement wisdom. We proceed as God's Spirit directs us. And finally, in verse six, the last thing that Paul says in this section, he says, "Be gracious and be salty. Be gracious and be salty." What is that? I think salty actually has a different connotation today, doesn't it? Like, ah, oh, that person was a little salty with me. <laughs> Stung a little bit. Um, so, what is Paul talking about right here when he's talking about salty? Paul's idea here is that we strive for perfection in communication. I think that's a really interesting thought. We strive for perfection in communication. How can I perfect the way that I talk with this person and engage in this person? How can I be wise in what I say? Perfection in communication is not impulsive, it's not careless. At times I'm impulsive, at times I'm careless because it gets the better of me and I hate it, and I regret it. At times I think it sneaks up on all of us. But how do we practice this idea of being salty? Salt makes things taste good, doesn't it? We put salt in food because it, it brings the food to life. It, it infuses flavor into it. I was over at my, um, my brother's house one day, and I had this piece of bread. And he had butter there. I was going to butter it on it. I won't, I won't tell you guys which brother it was, <coughs> Mark. Um, I butter my bread, and I got this nice fat slab of butter on there. And I go to take a bite in it, and I'm chewing it. I'm like, there's this pasty butteriness in my mouth, and it's lifeless. It's tasteless. And I looked at him, and I was like, did you put unsalted butter out? Is that, is that, is that butter without salt in it? And he's like, yeah, it's healthy. And I was like, dude, come on, you know? just put the bread down. I'm like, it's not worth it. (laughs) Salt, if, if, if it lacks salt, it lacks taste. It lacks flavor. It lacks zest. And as we engage with other people, I think the conversations that we have with them, I think that they can lack flavor. They can lack something good. They lack zest. I think if you want to have something salty to say, bring God into the conversation and talk about something that God's doing in your life. Talk about something you're thankful for. Talk about how you're blessed. Talk about how he's navigated through the last season with you and be ready with that. Think about it ahead of time. I think if you're relying on that stuff to just kind of pop and poof and come into your mind right in the middle of the situation, most of the time it doesn't. I think you got to kind of premeditate some of that. Hey, I'm going to infuse some salty things into the conversations I have with people today and I'm going to bring God into the conversation. Hmm. I think there's a lot of ways that we can show lack of flavor, lack of taste, mundaneness in our life. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can show gratitude or satisfaction or contentment. I think Pastor Ben He's up here all the time talking about this, this idea of joy. What does it mean to be joyful? It doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy. It means that you're satisfied. It means that you're content in the Lord. I think if people get this idea that, oh, I'm totally content and I'm satisfied with life, then people want whatever it is that you have. What's your secret? What's the secret sauce, as Ben would put it? What's going on in your life? But I think when we're bland, and we blend in and the things that we put on twitter and facebook and everything looks exactly like everything else that's out there and being put out there there's there's nothing zesty about it there's nothing that sticks out about it there's nothing actually that's even attractive about it i know your guys' posts are just amazing you know i know they are but you know what i'm saying if it just looks like everything else that's out there if it lacks if it lacks god in it it's bland It becomes mundane. I want people to look at us and say, wow, there's something different. And I might not actually be able to put my finger on it at first, but there's something different. And I want that. I want what's different. I think that kind of wraps up where we're at in this passage today. And I just wanted to talk through a couple things to kind of tie a bow on stuff. We have a, what does this have to do with me Um, section the first thing I wanna talk about, are what are the possibilities if we choose to engage in prayer? What are the possibilities if we engage in prayer? So I think that's one of the areas that, that I just feel like I struggle a little bit. I feel like we as a church struggle with, but what if we engaged in prayer? What wisdom might, might we gain? How might your life be changed? How might, how might the lives of others that are in your life be changed? I think it's a pretty tall challenge that Paul gives us and it's talking through here. Let's be a church that actually prays. Let's be disciplined. Let's discipline ourselves to tap into this idea of a lifeline to God, essential communication that changes the landscape of the battlefield. Let's engage in, cont- in, in continuous and consistent prayer. Prayers like, like a muscle that you would work out. It gets better and it gets more effective the more that you use it and the more you implement it. Let's talk about this second idea, buying up opportunities for the Lord. Buying up opportunities for the Lord. You get the excitement of being involved in a battle that, that has already been won and in which the Lord wants to actually use us and is not looking to use somebody else. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a surprise. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be a disappointment. It doesn't mean at times we're going to feel like, ah, oh, I felt totally unsuccessful at that. What happened? And by our standards and the way we're looking at it, it may seem like we were unsuccessful. But by God's standards and His perspective, maybe that was exactly what was supposed to happen in that situation. We have this knowledge that God is using us daily to accomplish this mission. He's given us the opportunity to participate, and that's that is exciting for me. Each hour you get to engage, or you can sit on the sidelines and watch. And I. I don't want that second option to describe my life. I don't want to get to the finish line at the end of life and look back and realize there were all these missed opportunities that I never took advantage of. I want to take advantage of them now. And the last thing is, be strategic in your speech. Live wisely. We're looking for these opportunities. We're ready to have a good word about the Lord. I think the the great idea here is... I don't know, this, this to me is actually a tough one to implement. It sounds like a, a rosy idea, like oh, I'm just gonna say all these things about God in my conversations, but when you're actually talking to someone, I think it's kind of hard to do. I, I don't know that I'm always the greatest at, at doing that. I think there's ordinary conversations where someone just kind of comes up and they're like, hey man, how's it going? How you doing? How's, how's, uh, how's life been? And I feel like you have an opportunity to inject some things there where you can say like, you know man, God's good. I'm blessed. I'm incredibly thankful. And I think you can weave small things like that into your conversations. I think you can you can kind of take it to another level too and you say, you know what, man? I just feel like this last season, God's really provided for me and my family or I think the Lord's really doing something where he's working in my workplace to accomplish something. You can praise God for health or for another day. I don't think the idea here is that you always need to come off like you're super positive. And if there's nothing bad in your life and nothing going on that you're like, oh, this is frustrating me, you know? I think it's fine to come off and say, you know what, man, I've just been concerned a little bit lately. Life's been heavier, I've been frustrated. But at the same time, you know, I know God's in the midst of that. I know he's in control of what happens and I think that changes my outlook on it. I can see him working in the, in the midst of tough stuff that's going on in my life right now. You can tell people, you know, I, I know we kind of still live in a broken world and we suffer a little bit from that, but God's still in control. I know he's moving. Pastor Ben, this is another thing that he says all the time. He said, you know what? I've read the book. I know how it ends, you know? And the idea there is I know what God's doing and I know the direction this is going in. and We already have the victory. I think there's a way to be in pain and to choose to focus on the good. And often, often in life, it doesn't seem like the good's in the forefront of our mind. I think the good outweighs the bad. And I think that's another reason to focus on gratitude. It's because the good in our life often outweighs the bad in our life. And if we can put that perspective on it and how God's in the midst of that working, I think that's the way to change our conversation. That's the, the, the way to be a little bit salty or zesty. You need to tell someone, hey, I'm struggling like crazy right now, but I know in the end, God's gonna pull me through this. I'm so so glad God's with me through the good times as well as, you know, the rough patches. I know there's far more in my life that's good and I'm choosing to dwell on those things. Those things are from God. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, thanks for an excellent morning. Thanks for a great morning to be in church and to worship and to be encouraged and to be challenged, God. Um, God, I pray for the opportunities. I pray for the mission field, and the battlefield that's out there, God. We're not not—we're not fighting against people. People are not the enemy, God. We're fighting against this unseen realm, this spiritual battlefield that's actually very real. And um, God, we're praying that you move. We're praying that you use us. We're praying that you give us wisdom. We're praying that you put us in the right spot at the right time to be effective. And God, we're praying for each other, that you'd continue to give us opportunities and to move in miraculous ways where you open a door. And God, help us to engage in all just the little small opportunities, the people that we feel like you're nudging us to connect with on a Sunday morning, the person in the grocery store that we're checking out that looks like they might need a little encouragement, and we're busy, and we gotta get somewhere, and we gotta make dinner, but maybe we can stop and pause and buy up an opportunity for you, Lord, and, and encourage someone and maybe shed some light or showcase, you know, the goodness that you've brought to the world, God. Um, we love you, God. Thanks so much for this morning. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.mailchristian.com.